The August WASD offered a few adjustments from USDA as the 2022 crop comes into view ahead of harvest. But with weather and fuel concerns still outstanding, might prices and expected yields still have space to move? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The August WASD dropped Friday, August 12th, with the broader U.S. economy reckoning with turmoil and the global harvest still uncertain, making markets eager for the information infusion from USDA. DTN's lead market analyst, Todd Holtman, joins us to unpack some of the adjustments the department made that moved markets as analysts zero in on final estimates on the crop before harvest. He covers the drought picture, USDA's Planet Acres update, and zooms out to put the latest news in the context of a record-tight supply situation. We'll discuss the global supply and demand picture for key grains and oil seeds, dig into livestock market shifts that might be ahead, and talk tactics about how to keep the many, many factors affecting ag markets in mind while planning for the next few months and beyond. More on Ukraine, declining propane levels, and record low wheat supplies right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the August world supply and demand estimates. Todd, we're in the midst of the very weather-driven part of the season. Talk to us a little bit about your expectations going into this report and maybe what kind of external factors you've been paying attention to as we move between the reports this summer. Yes. Well, you already tipped on it there. Weather has been the key event this summer, as it usually is this time of year. And the awkward thing always about the August WASD report is that we're getting close enough to harvest that we can feel it. But we're still early in the crop development process, especially this year where crops got planted later than normal in a lot of areas, it's still early to be real confident about the yield estimates that either USDA or anybody else is making at this time. So the market will somewhat take these yield estimates seriously as it always does or seems to, but that doesn't mean that we don't still have a lot of uncertainty ahead. Give us the top line readout for our main crops. What were the expectations going in in terms of did USDA keep stocks and expectations where the market thought they would be or were there surprises? For the most part, I would say yes, the report did end up being, I think, what most people expected. And there was 
maybe a couple slight surprises we'll talk about probably a little deeper into the report. But overall, as far as cross estimates went, the corn expectation came in just almost right on top of uh, Dow Jones survey of analysts, what they were expecting, looking for a 14.38 billion bushel crop and USDA came up with a 14.36 billion bushel crop. So it's hard to get closer than that. The new corn yield is 175.4. I think there's seems to be broad agreement that we're not gonna reach or exceed the old record high of 177 bushels an acre that USDA started the year with. So there, I think it was constructive in the sense that there seems to be some acknowledgement that there are crop stresses around the country and not everything looks as good as maybe the crop progress report led us to believe earlier this year. On the soybean crop estimate, it actually came in a little higher than expectations, but emphasized the word little. The market was looking for 4.47 billion bushel crop. USDA's estimate came in at 4.53. The new soybean yield estimate is 51.9 instead of the expected yield of 51. The only thing noteworthy about that really is that the record yield for soybeans is 52. So we're right up against the record set in 2016. But again, soybeans especially are in the process of filling pods and this could still go either way next month. I want to check in again on that weather front, especially as we look at expectations, because I think obviously weather has some really granular level regional variations, but I was just talking to a farmer earlier today in western Nebraska who was talking about the extreme drought that that area is in. As you look at the forecast for the next couple of weeks, and as you look back through the season, in terms of USDA's estimates, do it does it seem like uh, there is room for movement there, or do you feel like the USDA is on the mark at this point? No, I think there's quite a bit of room for movement, actually, Sarah. And one of the strong reasons I say that is because we've spent this whole week looking at DTN's digital yield tour powered by Grow Intelligence. And if you didn't know, those national yield estimates from Grow came in much lower than expected. We're at 167.2 as a national yield on corn. That's lower than I've heard anyone else talking about. And for soybeans, they're a little closer to expectations, but 48.9 is still I think lower than most have been talking about. Now, because I've been able to spend time with them and working each week, they've shown us their models. They've been very transparent about showing us the different indicators they're looking at and how they compare to past years. And then as we got into the state by state look, I've honestly been very impressed by the work they're doing. And to me, the difference of looking at, at Grow's work is a little bit like getting under the microscope and really looking at the conditions that crops are growing in. And when you do that, I think you get a much more detailed look at just how much stress there is around different parts of the country. And I think it is gonna show up here by the time we get to our final yield estimates. Thanks for mentioning that. We will actually be checking in with Katie Dellinger on Monday for a little bit of an update on that yield tour for anyone who's interested as well. So Great. given that, given the USDA's announced numbers in the August report, given the kind of broader understanding and expectations around weather and the risk there, how did the market react to what it saw in this report and what else is it reacting to in this moment? It did reward the lower corn estimate. We saw December corn jump up 14 and a half cents on the close. 
And that was actually the highest close in over a month now for December corn. To me, it's encouraging to see corn shake off that speculative selling stink that corn prices got in late June and in early July. And it's encouraging to see the market start taking a closer look and giving more respect to the fundamentals that are actually supporting the corn market. In the case of soybeans, in spite of the slightly higher yield estimate, and initially soybeans had a sell-off right after 11 o'clock when the report was announced, by the end of the session, they were still up five and three quarters at the end of the day. And in the case of soybeans, I wrote about on Friday morning, we have an extremely strong demand situation on both soy products, meal and bean oil both. And it's it's just something that a slight increase in the crop estimate is not going to really be a hurdle to, to how bullish this market already is. And then in wheat, wheat started the day lower because we had some rain expectation in the forecast, which might be helpful when it comes to fall planting for winter wheat this year. But by the end of the session, wheat was steady to maybe a couple cents lower because we did have some bullish information in this report that we'll talk about later. I'm going to put a pin in wheat just for a minute to talk yeah. a little bit about the demand situation for corn and soybeans because the slight reduction for corn yield estimates obviously is taking place in this much bigger picture <laughs> of tight stocks that we've been talking about for months, years at this yeah. point. Put it in context for us. Given the historic stock situation, where does this information put kind of the overall picture of where we might end up come November, December of this year? I think the bottom line, or maybe the best way to describe that, is that we're still dealing in a post-pandemic world where our corn and soybean and wheat supplies are still significantly lower than they were before the pandemic. And so the old days of three to four and a half dollar corn and eight to ten the $11 soybeans, those days are behind us. And this is a whole new environment we're operating in. And it's not just the tight supplies, but obviously we have higher input costs and we still have those logistical problems. And we've got this war in Ukraine that doesn't want to go away easily. So it's just a different world from the old days of $3 corn that we're used to talking about. I want to dig in specifically a little bit about demand for corn. Talk to us about the picture there, ethanol, feed demand. Is the, that picture shifting at all as we deal with potentially a more limited stock than we expected going into harvest and beyond? Yeah, I would say that the demand picture for corn is still quite attractive. Now, in today's report, there was a 25 million bushel reduction in the old crop estimate for ethanol production. And that's okay. Ethanol production's still running up like 6.5% above the previous year. So there was a small tweak because we were slightly below USDA's previous estimate, the pace of that. Feed demand also overall, in my judgment, is doing well. We've had some concerns. The hog numbers have been down. And at some point, these cattle numbers are going to drop off here pretty soon. We've had so much liquidation in the beef cow herd. We could see lower demand forward. But earlier this summer, we had $10 corn in the Texas panhandle. And to date, uh, to me, the kind of the bottom line indicator for corn demand is still the basis. And we still have a basis around the country that is at its strongest levels in eight years for this time of year. So that just tells you, I think, in the shortest 
way possible that demand throughout the country is still quite strong for corn. And of course, we all experienced the pain of high gasoline and diesel prices this year. And we need that ethanol to help extend those gasoline prices. Braiding together this corn and soybean story, talk to us a little bit about soybean demand. Obviously, this has been the big star for a, a little while in terms of just tightness of the supply from the biodiesel demand from obviously China trade, so much demand for soybeans. Where is that picture after this report? You're right. There's a lot of tentacles here, and I'll try not to get lost in them all, but let's start with China, the world's largest soybean buyer. We've heard all kinds of negative news about China this year. They've had COVID restrictions. They had a lower GDP report, concerns about their economy and getting bogged under with all the COVID problems they've had. And yet throughout all of that, their soybean demand level has remained as strong as ever. So there just see no slowdown there in the demand situation for soybeans from China or greater Asia for that matter. So that has maintained very good. And by the way, China, I believe they bought 1.12 billion bushels of soybeans from us so far in the current season. Not a bad piece of business. Then you also mentioned biodiesel. We've got more soybean oil being used to make biofuels than ever before. That biodiesel plant capacity has almost doubled in the past 12 months. That continues to be a big push to expand even more plant capacity. So we, we still have a very strong demand market there. We, we had diesel prices well over $5 this summer, which nobody likes to see, but that obviously that biodiesel is needed to extend those supplies. And then on the other piece of this crush puzzle, we've got just remarkable demand in soybean meal. And the first clue was the spot cash price that USDA puts out for Illinois just started taking off, basically, and trading far above the futures board. Right now, it's like $90 above the, the, the expiring August contract. The August contract just expired today. So anyway, it was trained about $90 above the futures board and still rising. And even last Thursday night, it hit a new high of $610. And that that wakes up all the antenna. What is going on in soybean meal? Part of it is just that as much as we're trying to crush soybeans, it's just not enough for the demand out there. And there's competition from distillers grains. But I also received an interesting email from a customer this morning who said, hey, when you talk about soybean meal, don't don't forget about cotton because this year's weather problems is going to cut our cotton production by two million bales. And those bales are full of cotton seeds, which is another feed source for the dairy and cattle industry that they like to use and missing that that source of feed just puts even more pressure on the need for meal. And then another tentacle, we could look down and see Argentina is just in a pile of economic problems and their farmers, unfortunately, are kind of buried under by some pretty heavy export taxes. And Argentina and Brazil both got hit by drought uh, that hurt their soybean crops earlier in 2022. So we just got all sorts of things going on, all problems that are not easily solved. And right now, meal just seems to be taking the bullish brunt of all of it. You spoke to it a little bit, but check us in on the basis for soybeans and what that's looking throughout the country right now. So our DTN National Soybean Index was priced at $15.04 on Thursday night. 
and that's Thursday, August 11. That was down 31 cents from the previous month, but the cash basis you asked me about of that index is 56 cents above the November contract. So keep in mind here, we, USDA just estimated close to a record yield for our soybean crop this year. We're just a couple months from harvest really getting underway. And we have cash prices across the Midwest trading 56 cents above the board. And that's on average. We can look at, there was an elevator in Chicago bidding $1.85 above the November contract here on Friday morning. So uh, the basis situation in soybeans as well as in corn is the strongest we've seen for this time of year in eight years. And uh, that just says a lot about what kind of domestic demand we have for both of those crops. We've come all the way back around to wheat. So let's dive in a little bit to the wheat picture. Obviously the wheat has been a big global focus has made it into kind of the mainstream news situation for potential weaknesses in the global wheat supply. Talk to us a little bit about what context USDA added in this report and what the demand picture looks like going into this first half of the next wheat season. I think there was a lot of interest today and what USDA would say about the crop estimates around the world. And if you consider that most of, the, most of the winter wheat places in North America are either in the midst of harvest or have probably been close to finished harvest. In the U.S., we're almost done with harvest. Ukraine and Russia, they're still working at harvest. So anyway, it's a key time to keep your eyes out for the crop estimates that are coming out. So we had a long list of countries where USDA made changes to the crop estimates today. And one of the big concerns was that USDA's crop estimate for Russia has just been too low at 81 and a half million metric tons. It just did not compare to a lot of private estimates that we were seeing in the 90 to 95 range. That bearish adjustment did come true, at least to a part. USDA increased Russia's crop estimate up to 88 million metric tons. They split the difference with the private analysts is one way of looking at it. But that was a sizable increase from Russia. At the same time, we saw smaller increases for Canada and Australia. Um, Ukraine stayed the same. And then we saw some decreases, notably for Europe, lost a couple million metric tons. It's no secret. Europe's had a lot of hot and dry weather this year. India's crop production was reduced 3 million metric tons. Some have been wondering if India might end up actually becoming a wheat importer instead of an exporter, as we were talking about the possibility of earlier this season. But USDA did not change its views on India still being a wheat exporter. That's, they still see India as an exporter, not an importer. But they did reduce the crop estimate they saw for India. So if I haven't confused you yet, take all those changes put them all together, and now let's look at what does USDA say about global ending wheat stocks. And I'm going to exclude China from this category because Chinese supplies are always difficult to verify. So if I look at the number excluding China, the ending stocks estimate for global wheat fell from 126 down to just under 123 million metric tons. Sarah, that is the lowest ending stocks total if that bears out in 15 years. 
USDA had some announcements today that were hotly expected around planting. Give us the update. There was a second survey conducted in the month of July in the Dakotas and Minnesota because spring wheat plant, spring planting was so late in the, those areas because they were so excessively wet that they thought they would take a second look. In addition to that, this was also the first day when the Farm Service Agency came out with their first estimate of prevented plantings. And of course, for the same reasons, we had interest in that because there were a lot of areas in eastern North Dakota and western Minnesota that were underwater at planting time. But when push came to shove, Sarah, there really was almost no change in the planting estimates. The corn planting estimate was reduced 100,000 acres. For soybeans, it came down 300,000 acres. And for wheat, it came down 100,000 acres. So all that worrying for not. There was, the June acreage report really still stands intact pretty much as it was. In a way, that is almost more unexpected. Just that I don't, <laughs> we never trust that June is the, I, the, the right numbers. I have to agree. I thought maybe corn acres would be down a million, but just that did not happen. So maybe that's a little bit of a tribute to USDA's estimating ability in the June report. I didn't know how they would handle all that, but when they had actually reported quite a few unplanted acres at that time, uh, evidently they liked the estimates they made and stuck with them. Shifting gears just a little bit in terms of, obviously we're in the weather part of the season. We're in the season where every rainstorm, every weather forecast has the potential to shift the market at least a little bit. Cause it's just, everyone's kind of pins and needles trying to figure out what's going to affect production and how much. We checked in with John Brannick in the last couple of weeks here on the podcast, heard a little bit about the potential forecast for harvest. As you look to the bigger trends going into these kind of the last four or five months of the season, anything out there that you are watching that could fundamentally shift the picture of the market that we're currently operating under? Yes and no. And so there's a few things when you talk about weather looking forward. And of course, right now we're all involved with what's the effect on crop and will it have increased stress and things like that. And I think I mentioned next week, we're looking for some relief from the hot and dry forecasts that we've been seeing. But overall, the forecast, the DTN forecast for harvest time remains favorable with basically a warm temperature and dry outlook for the harvest period. And that's really good news for harvesting and it's really good news for those propane bills because I don't think we'll need as much propane to dry grain this year at harvest time. The concern, the other part of the concern of the weather question looking forward does have to do with not only propane, but natural gas and energy supplies in general. This problem with Russia and Europe, Russia cutting off natural gas supplies to Europe here in front of the winter months is I think going to be a big deal. It's going to strain our U.S. gas supplies as well as we try to continually try to export to help Europe out through this time. But it makes things a bit tight for all of us. And I'm very concerned. I've been trying to get the word out. If you need propane, if you can store propane, or if you rely on propane for heat in the winter as well as for your crop drying needs, this is the time to get those supplies, get them even earlier than you would normally expect. Because right now, the propane prices are actually still fairly reasonable in comparison to some of the spikes in gas that we might see this winter if we get a cold shot. So it's 
I think it's an extremely vulnerable energy market worldwide that we have heading into this winter, but also because the U.S. has become such an aggressive exporter of liquefied natural gas. It also pulls this into the same scenario of being at least uh, sympathetic in part to the price pangs that they're going to feel in Europe this winter. We got a chance to talk to Brian Milne last week about fuel prices. And yeah, it is the Europe situation (sighs) is challenging to say the least. And I think that is a good segue into, I think we've been following some relatively short-term news about the conflict in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. As you keep an eye on that situation, which seems very much to continue to drive markets and the news and just general expectations going into 2023, anything shifting there that you see, that you think might indicate any kind of major movement? It was six, seven months into a war that people thought would take six weeks. I guess that's not the first time that's happened in Europe, but uh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) perspective there on what this might mean. Are we still going to be dealing with this in terms of agricultural markets into 2023? Yes. Overall, as best as I can tell, Sarah, this, I think, continues to be a long-term conflict. It looks like to me, the Western assistance to Ukraine has really helped Ukraine keep this from being a six-week affair. And uh, Ukraine's had some success to report lately, but overall, it seems that month by month, every time I look at the map, Russia is making further encroaches into Ukraine and not only eating up more of Eastern Ukraine, but coming across the Southern part of that country. And recently the the attacks have picked up on the port of Mykolaiv in South Central Ukraine. And I'm no military strategist or make no claims about anything like that. But just from an amateur point of view, as you look at the map and where Russia seems to continue to be putting that effort, it just seems as if they are going across southern Ukraine and keep getting closer to Odessa. And it it just seems to me, just from simple observation, that it looks like Putin is trying to cut off Ukraine from the Black Sea completely. And of course, if he is able to do that, then it's going to be very difficult for Ukraine to survive as a nation. Because right now their economy is strained, and I can tell you their ability to grow food in 2023 is severely limited right now. We've already heard from the president of the Ukraine Grain Association saying that he expects 50% of Ukrainian grain farmers to go bankrupt this year. So it's not a good situation. I don't see it getting better in in terms of ending this thing, but you always cross your finger and hope for some kind of good surprise here. And the U.S. hasn't fully escaped the effects of that conflict. Obviously, fuel prices have been up, but also we're experiencing some generalized inflation. I'm. You mentioned a little earlier discussions. Obviously, there's a ton of talk on any kind of financial news you're watching about this debate of whether or not we're in a recession, the rising interest rates from the Fed, kind of this whole picture of rising inflation, uh, rising interest rates, and what that means for kind of the softness in the general economy. How are you taking that overall picture for the broader U.S. market into account as you look at agricultural markets and as we talk about fuel, as we talk about inputs, these adjacent commodity markets that really do, in the end, have a big impact on how agricultural markets play out? 
yeah, to me, the big two root fundamental roots of the problem the whole time has always been the lack of labor after the pandemic of getting people back to work. And the second one would be the lack of energy production after the pandemic and also exacerbated by the situation of Russia and Ukraine and, and Europe trying to ban Russian oil and all that goes with that. To me, it, if we could fix the energy production problem, that would fundamentally dissolve a lot of these monetary inflation concerns that we have. But dissolving that problem is not easy to do. I think our alternative energy sources amount to like 21% of all energy sources. We're still heavily reliant on oil and energy and gas. And we need to admit that and make that part of our solution, at least in the near term. We just, you just can't get by if you don't have enough energy for the country to, to carry on business and transport everything you need to transport. We just can't run as a and function as a country if we don't have an adequate energy sources. So I'm all for going green, but we have to be practical too at the same time. And remember that around the world, we're often very dependent on very unreliable sources of energy and very hostile political places. And that's something I always hoped we could get away from, but we're just not anywhere close to being there yet. Just to put a bow on that whole topic, I'm curious, one of the things we talked with Brian about was just the shortage of diesel and how expensive diesel is right now. And I'm curious as you look to, obviously diesel demand peaks during harvest because it's such a critical part of running farm equipment, of being able to drive loads of grain to wherever it is that it gets delivered, the local elevator maybe, I'm wondering if there is a kind of almost a wild card here of, is there a possibility that diesel is either so hard to come by or so expensive that it has an effect on yields or how quickly harvest can happen? Or we're simultaneously in such an unprecedented price situation for grains, but we're yeah. also in a weirdly unprecedented input price <laughs> situation. So how are you thinking about that? Yes, for the most part, We've had some nice relief in oil, gasoline, and diesel prices the past month and a half to two months. But that pain price point really peaked in mid-June for diesel as well. And since then, it's come down. And part of that is because when you have both seasons colliding together, spring is definitely a tough demand time for diesel prices because they're still using it for heating oil in the Northeast, number one. And then we're also starting to use it to plant crops here in the Midwest at the same time. And then finally, when that winter demand for heating oil from diesel drops off from the Northeast, we've got more supplies freed up for our travel and our truck transportation and all that in the summertime. I tend to think as far as harvest prices go, I tend to think we'll be able to get through the harvest period and keep diesel prices at least relatively lower than where they were last June. But the concern is if just how much fuel gets used up in that time. So now this is where I get more concerned about propane. A warm, dry fall harvest could really help us extend propane supplies into winter. So I think that's thankfully a good thing. At, in the same way, I think a warm, 
dry fall period could help stave off some of that heating oil demand from the northeast and colder parts of the country and give us a little head start into winter there. So for both reasons, I think our energy prices could get a little benefit if this fall forecast plays out for warmer temperatures. And that's maybe about the best situation we could look forward to as far as weather contributions. And then winter's going to be up for grabs what that's like. This is such a fascinating time because of how the things that are affecting agriculture, so relatively few of them are actually internal to agriculture. I think when yeah. we're looking at yeah, propane, right? Like the natural gas situation <laughs> in Europe and how big of an impact that could have not only on energy availability this harvest and winter, but also chemical inputs, fertilizer yeah. going into next year. Yeah. The war in Ukraine and what the situation that's created. There's weird wild cards out there. We saw Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan and created some tensions with China and <laughs> all of that. It just feels like we're piling on potential wild cards all the time. And so I'm curious, we are, as you mentioned, a few it feels like we're very close to harvest, even though actually we're a bit farther away <laughs> than we are. But we just get excited because yeah. it's August. How are you thinking about all of these variables outside of agriculture? And obviously they might continue to impact availability of inputs and materials through the rest of the season. What is the picture you have of the market through the end of the year? And how are you considering all these unknown outside factors that ag really has no control over? Yeah, when you ask me that, the first thing I think of is fertilizer. And I think that is the one where I'm not very optimistic of those supplies increasing adequately or prices coming down materially before planting season next year. And specifically, as you mentioned, with Europe getting cut off with natural gas production, and now they have rationing plans in effect. And BSF has said that they're going to have to be pulling back on production. It seems like no matter where we turn on that fertilizer, we're having a hard time making progress in this current situation. So that's going to continue to be tough. At the same time, I guess, thankfully, the surplus of grains are low enough that it's helping to support a price that's still profitable above those input costs for the most part. Now, if you're one of the people hurt by hot and dry weather and lower yields this year, that's not much to hang your hat on. So that's still a tough situation. It's just, it's a big jigsaw puzzle. And it really, ever since the pandemic, I think grain analysis has gotten much more complicated. And there's just been many more tentacles about this whole thing. And as long as Russia is belligerent the way they are, and China seems to be growing increasingly more hostile every year, it's hard to be too optimistic about solving a lot of these problems. And like guys told me at planning time, I'm just going to have to put my head down and go to work. And I think that's what a lot of us end up doing. I guess I always circle back when I talk to older producers that have been through a lot and they survived and seemed to prosper through a lifetime of farming. When it came to marketing, a lot of them were fairly cautious, defensive type people. And they often told me that I often did not get the highs of the market or anywhere near it. But I survived a lot of years where other people didn't. And I think that's maybe the best advice for anyone to keep in mind. I will throw to you any other topics you wanted to cover, any other data, interesting insights you wanted to share? I can give a 
just kind of a brief comment on, on USDA's cattle production estimates today. I thought it was interesting that USDA increased its production estimate for the current year, 2022, modestly, but now up to just under 28 billion pounds now. And I think it's a recognition of the good slaughter pace that we've seen lately. And that's another good sign of beef demand. And I think the nice thing about that is that in spite of all the outside headlines on the business news channel about being worried about interest rates and a rising dollar and talk of recession and is the economy in recession or isn't it? Beef demand continues to slog along really well here and the slaughter pace is staying good. So I think that's the good news. And this report seems to substantiate that somewhat. For next year, they also increased the production estimate a little bit, but it's still going to be quite a bit less. They're expecting 26.3 billion pounds of production next year. So it's still an indication that we're going to have less cattle available, which is no surprise to anyone that's been watching the size of the beef cow herd lately in the inventory report. On the pork side, USDA reduced the pork production estimate for this year slightly, basically from 27.2 down to 27.1 billion pounds. And we have noticed not only do we have smaller inventories of hogs every time the quarterly report comes out, but the slaughter pace has been off a bit. And I continue to suspect that there's disease problems that we hear about, especially around northwestern Iowa, southern Minnesota, that are just keeping the hog barns not quite as full as they usually are. That's been good for hog prices, but a, uh, just a bit of a nagging problem this year. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.